Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. This week's Forgecast comes to you thanks to Weber Abrasives, the Aussie abrasive supplier of choice. Give Rob a call or visit webers.net.au when you're next stocking your shop. That's right, new web address. So change your bookmarks, people. Webers.net.au haven't quite got the shop running yet but they will soon yeah the the new the new site is sort of like um it's it's set up ready to have the shop on at the shop front so i'm very excited to see that happening for him it's a it's a big move for his company yeah for sure Uh, what have you been up to this week oh you beat me to it yeah i mean you already know because we've recorded this once before (laughs) but they don't know that well they do now (laughs) Not if I edit it. <laughs> oh, this is true. Uh, yeah, my, my audio file fucked up from the last one. But, um, yeah, mostly just working on the um, guillotine tools and getting those prepped for shipping and put together a chook shed. Uh, mm. We got the foundations dug. Oh, God. <sighs> foundations? How many chooks are you putting in there? No, eight or nine. Um is it like because the thing is that our our backyard is at a slope it's like the the full thing is sloped um at about five ten degrees um so we have to cut in a flat spot whenever we want to build something and this uh chook pen is uh 2.4 by 4.8 um plus chook pad yeah it's quite large um because we want to like because the chooks we've got right now are free-ranging but the issue with having free-ranging chooks in a backyard full of garden beds is that they tend to dig everything up and you can't grow anything so we decided yeah the we decided the best thing to do was to build a large chook pen that we could be we could happily house several chickens comfortably with room to move around uh and then that way we can utilize the rest of the garden um, but yeah, it's, it's a slow process because obviously digging in, in Perth is a pain in the ass because everything's rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's been uh, a lot of work and I'm welding the frame together. We're making it out of steel, so it's making it uh, a little bit more difficult as well. But, you know, in the end, we're going to have a bomb-proof bloody chook shed, so yep. I won't be too too unimpressed about the it. The apocalypse but... will happen. It'll be Kerry Ann Kennelly and your chooks. <laughs> That's it. We value our chooks highly. <laughs> um but yeah it sold a few of the guillotine tools including to uh owner of nordic edge our wonderful sponsor bjorn jacobson yes. sent that off to him today actually um so hopefully Bjorn. he'll get that and hopefully he'll like it i sent him a couple of stickers to go with it well i don't have any stickers because <laughs> you haven't asked oh well didn't know you had stickers i do I even, have my, I even have them on my Redbubble store. Um, but yeah, so I've got a bunch of knives to finish for the Royal Show coming up soon, the 25th of September. I'm going to be hosting a like the Knife Arts Association table at the Royal Show for the first Saturday of the Royal Show. 
Are you a um, member of the KA, or are they just loaning you the? So it's it's part of their promotion for the Perth Knife Arts um, group because uh, the Perth Knife Show has now been put on hold again for 2022, um, and there's a chance that it won't be going ahead until after all of this crap is gone. Don't get into um, trouble again. It's just a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Good Food and Wine Festival, they'd booked a stall there. And basically what they're doing is offering the table to any knife maker living here in WA who wants to host the table for a day and sell stuff. Uh, so it's like $100 to host the table for a day, and I'll get that back in, in a day at the Royal Show, no worries. Um, yeah, so it's just a good way for me to make a little bit more money, get my name out there a little bit more, and because we're not having the knife show... You know, it's, it's going to be my one knife show-esque experience for the year. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to doing it and dreading it at the same time. Because you're going to have a whole bunch of randos just, you know, milling about. Luckily, they've made glass display cases for it, so... Alright, so you won't have them thumbing the edge of your knife? <sighs> yeah, we won't have anyone running past just snatching a knife off the table and bolting for it. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that's fun. I also have been doing a bunch of work on my sword. Um, you know, I've got it finished ground now. Just need to hand sand it. Start forging the, uh, fittings. Um, the... Ooh. Got it down to 625 grams, uh, of blade. It's probably going to be about 600... 615 grams when it's finally hand sanded, which is about exactly where I was aiming for. Um, and then, obviously, the health components are... You know, it's going to probably end up about a kilo, maybe a little less, which is historically about right um, for for the period I'm aiming for. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to keep it as historically accurate as I can. It's got a very wide fuller, um, and it's going to have it's it's going to have something somewhat more Anglo-Saxon inspired hilt fittings than Viking, but you know, it's it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, I also forged out, uh, finally finished forging the HEMA cutlass blade that I've been working on in my live streams. Sorry, I was uh, just deafened by the distant screams of a thousand neckbeards all having, hearing you compare Anglo-Saxon swords to Viking swords. Eh, uh, fuck them. It's <laughs> 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 practically the same. Like, Jesus Christ. It's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. They all start pointing towards your direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah. There, are, there are different differences, obviously, but yeah, fucking yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. Finished forging out the Hema Cutlass blade that I'm doing for my Hema Club. Um, I've still got to make the bowl guard. I've still got to make a armor forge to forge sheet metal, which I hate the idea of, but I'm going to do it anyway because why not? You're doing a gas or solid fuel? Gas. Um, yeah, it's going to be uh, adjustable depth, uh, open three sides. Um, I, I think I, the idea I've got is pretty sound, so hopefully it'll, it'll work. Hmm. But, um, yeah. Uh, and then I also have forged out a whole bunch of graver blanks. I was actually filing on them today before we, uh, before we started recording. Um, filing them under G. <laughs> G for gravers. Um out of the W1 that Wayne Heights sent me. Um, trying to get them ready for doing some engraving work on the Viking hilt. 
Mm. I'm also hoping that once I've done all this test run, I can get the shapes that I want and figure out how I want to put the metal so that I can then start making sets for sale um, for those intro sets that I wanted to make. Mm. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much everything that I've been doing. Um, My song of the week this week... Given that I was forging a cutlass, and given that I've been doing a lot of cutlass work around my Hema group, uh, my Hema group are kind of quasi-Viking pirates. <laughs> they really like their uh, Viking... Vikings really kind of pirates anyway. It, it, they kind of were, yeah. This is kind of the <laughs> point, is that, you know, if, if you want to get them... pirates. Yeah, if you want to get them in their, like, medieval aspect, then they all they all play Viking stuff uh, in, like, mm-hmm. the SCA. But uh, given the freedom, they will happily, you know, do some vi- uh, pirate shit as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've been talking a lot about the Age of Sail and stuff like that. So, um, going back to my favorite uh, shanty band, obviously, the Longest Johns, uh, who I've already put on the uh, <laughs> on the Forgecast uh, playlist before. But in this case, I went with Randy Dandio, um, which is one another one of my favorites by them. I mean, and one you know, of their I, most famous songs. Yeah, yeah. After the Wellerman uh, kind of blew up on TikTok, Randy Dandio got picked up as one of the Longest John's better ones as well. So, yeah, um, it's a great, it's a great shanty. Like I, I love all shanties, but you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I do like the opening of Randy Dandio. Like you recognize it the moment you hear the first word. They um, make for a really good uh, like work song as well when you're trying well, to get stuff done, which is yeah, what they're, they're intended for anyway. But Exactly, they, they're it kind still of works. evocative of, of that, you know, working ethic, really, aren't they? Um, yeah. Much like uh, the old pre-gospel chain gang songs. Mm, or right, the, like, um, the US Marine marching chants. Yeah, exactly, you know, like, the, just that cadence is, is really, um, you know, that kind of thing tends to get you in the mood for working. Mm. But yeah, anyway, with that being said, what have you been up to? Well, I mean, I know what you've been up to. Um, Finishing a Viking sword. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I told you you were going to get it finished before I fucking even started on the hill fittings. Yeah, well, it's it's. I'm glad to have it done. Um, it's actually being uh, ripped from my hands sooner than I thought, though, because um, it's okay. not the wedding's not until uh, November, but um, with border closures and everything, the um, getting it to them is proving difficult because they live interstate and um, they. They, they don't trust couriers. I think they've had incidents before. Well, I, I don't um, trust couriers either, so I don't blame them. And this thing is expensive and unique and important to their wedding, central to their wedding. And um, so the, they've just found out last minute that um, a good acquaintance of theirs is actually a lorry driver, um, like a big rig, double trailer yeah, lorry yeah, driver. And he's... He's uh, transporting logs, um, and he does this regularly. So he'll actually be coming over on Thursday uh, on the boat, and so he's going to stop by and take it. Um, So it's sort of last minute. I've frantically been running around showing everybody that I promised I would show it to um, (laughs) before it disappeared, and uh, I've got more lined up tomorrow to see it um, because we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, So before before it disappears... (laughs) Yeah. But um, I've, I've got mixed emotions because I'm both um, very glad to see the back of this thing after seven and a half months, um, but at the same time, I don't, don't want to let it go. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've spent so many bloody months making it. Yeah. It's my baby. <laughs> 
That's alright, it'll be your baby until you pick up the next sword commission. <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. Um, as it currently stands, it is the, the greatest thing that I've ever made. Um, I know that won't last, but for now, that's what it is, and it's going to be hard to get rid of. But um, uh, by the time this episode airs, my um, final vlog on my YouTube will be up uh, in public. Um, as a patron, I have already seen it, and that's great. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I was... Uh, had to get that out even though I've got a backlog of videos I'm supposed to do I've still got to do the one the next collab with Anthony Carroll and I he's already filmed his stuff he's been you know on top of it and good Um, (laughs) I've been slack Uh, I'm going to do a video on uh, something that's going to make a few more trolls scream Um, (laughs) go keep the trolls screaming yeah I'm I'm very carefully doing that to actually uh, make it as um, infuriating as possible um, Broden's going to help me with that one, actually. Oh, fair <laughs> the enough. Secret, secret project. I think it'll even upset you. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> um, now, now I'm intrigued. Yeah, that's right. But, um, yeah, I. what else have I been working on? I've been working on a, a, a monster of a sax um, mm-hmm. and a puko to go with it. Um, the thing's a beast. It is pushing the extents of my um, postbox forge's ability to heat treat. Uh, it's. I think it is as long as I am capable of doing in that post box forge. The blade. Well, you is a sword, fo- so you should- <laughs> not in the post box forge. I didn't. <laughs> well, then you know. Uh, and I, f- I filled in the trench. Uh-huh. But um, it's yeah, it's it's coming up nice. It's looking mean, and uh, that's kind of what it was uh, meant to look like. So that's that's good. But. Um, I've been working more on the ornate dagger, the heirloom dagger, uh, working on the pommel assembly now. Um, I don't know what it is about me and ornate pommels, but um, it seems to be my thing now. It's looking good. Um, it is. I'm very happy with it and um, been getting some compliments from Niels, which has meant a lot because I look up to him a great deal. As most people know, he's my favorite knife maker, um, very closely followed by Sam Towns. Um, and... Yeah, what else have I been doing? I made some new hardy tools. I made a cool little, tiny little uh, hardy hole vice yeah. uh, for doing shows, live shows. Um, and all these people are like, oh my God, that's a great idea. I wish I could be credited with the idea, but it's not my idea. It's been around for a long time. Um, I actually modeled it off a different one that looked like a drill press vice on a hardy shank that was in a Black Bear Forge video. And I messaged him, and I'm like, oh, did you do a video on that? That's awesome. And he goes, no, somebody just gave it to me. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wanted to have some because lugging my massive six-inch jo- or uh, post vice around to shows is a nightmare. So I had to, yeah. um, had to come up with something. I'm only When I'm doing shows, I'm only ever doing, like, quarter-inch stock or three-eighths-inch stock, so it's everything I need. Yeah, and you, Brian, um, did your uh, first feather too. Yeah, that was going to be the next thing. I had Broden over to... He, he wanted to work some more on, on some Damascus for his projects. Uh, he made a cool little integral. Um, it's going to be an integral petty chef knife, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he forged his first cutthroat razor, which I'm interested in seeing how it comes out. And on a whim while he was there, we're like, hey, let's let's see if the, the log splitter press can make um, feather... <laughs> feather damascus like proper feather damascus we did the video with the bifurcated turkish twist that looks like a feather but um we we thought hey we'll give it a go but we 
we knew that the throat of it's so small we're only going to be able to make like a folding knife billet so mm. we we gave it quite a sharp blade so they didn't get too much distortion because it's spread over such a short area um that we heavily twisted it first so that it had some outer edge distortion and then did uh, a feathering down the middle and it actually it worked yeah it looks good. we we were chasing some d lambs like you would not believe we mm. really thought that it like we'd invested about three hours time into this thing by the time we thought like let's just let's just keep going because if we fuck it up it's it's wasted time you know fortune favors the bold and we pushed it and we pushed it and we were grinding out d lambs and and then trying again and and oh it was it was a nightmare but the final thing actually held it held really well from the looks of things i haven't um examined it too closely but um we ground up one side to an, a, a pretty decent 80 grit and then etched it and i couldn't see any any voids or d lambs or anything so it's going to be very interesting to see how it turns out um and uh, i'm yeah i'm gonna make a make a folder out of it and uh see how it goes or try to but uh yeah interesting interesting process feather is such a pain in the ass <laughs> yeah I, I don't recommend it if you don't have a strong sphincter because um it will it'll test it <laughs> oh yeah especially with the noises that your press makes while the, the blade's bending <laughs> <laughs> yeah you need a stout blade i learned that the first time that i made feather and, and you want to be pretty good at welding <laughs> oh man the the video that i've got on my instagram of that blade popping and bending and <laughs> doing all kinds of nasty shit ours was doing it too you'll notice the video on my instagram is heavily edited <laughs> <laughs> Um, It was mainly because of the language we were using as the noises were happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Uh, My song of the week, I've been listening to a band that's... It's not even a... I think it's just one guy who does everything. I could be wrong on this, but it's it's sort of small, lesser-known guy. He's not not one of a big name. The band is called Mystery Skulls. And... um, their music, his music is just catchy, and there's this one particular song on my favorite album of his um, that it's called Magic, and that is actually the entire lyric of the chorus. It's just the word magic over and over again, and it's it's such an earworm. I don't know if Sam, if you've listened to it yet. No, I haven't. No, it is it, the chorus is such an earworm that it just it lives rent free in your brain after you hear it. And I'd been listening to it, uh, listening to Mystery Skulls in general, and just sort of walking around as I'm pottering around the house. I'm singing the chorus, which is just one word, so it's nice and easy to remember the lyrics. Um, <laughs> I'm just singing this. And I was doing it for days because it just would not leave my brain. Mm-hmm. And then I sat down at my computer one night and I was actually playing Mystery Skulls, like the actual album, uh, over my speakers. And the song Magic came on and my wife who had been hearing me singing this around the house and the garden and everything for days she just sort of stopped in her tracks she's like hang on is that a real song i thought you'd made that up (laughs) so now she refers to it as the made-up song uh but it is actually a real song and it is really catchy um the whole album that the song magic is on is catchy i can't remember the name of the album off the top of my head um but it is uh the title track ghost has a really cool music video that was fan made and the guy liked it so much that he made it the official music video it's animated 
Nice. Um, so it's worth watching too as like an honorable mention. But yeah, Magic, great song. It's made t- totally not made up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do I do? Inspirations or emails? We've got a few emails. Um, let's go with emails. Alrighty, our first one comes from Ben, and he says, Hello guys, my name is Ben, and I have been forging for almost a year. Anyway, what do you consider to be a nice polish on a blade, and what epoxy would you personally recommend? Thanks guys, really love the channel, keep up the good work, have a great one. So, yeah, that's a... Uh, that could be a whole video, a whole whole uh, episode topic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the question, Ben. Yes, it, it is. We have like, done an episode on polishing, haven't we? We have, yeah. Um, it's it's such an open ended like idea. I think is the issue hmm. um, with with polishing because like people think consider polishing being like you know taking something to a mirror, but that's not polishing. Polishing is just creating a finish. Hmm. Um, and Sam and I have very different views on our sort of like personal preferences I should say on what we like to take our knives to Um, I I would not on a working knife I wouldn't usually go higher than 240 or 400 grit uh, satins usually because if you get scratches on them you don't really notice it as much (laughs) Sam likes his his shinier blades yeah I I normally go for like 6 to 800 for working blades um and then, you know, up into the 3000s for stuff like Hamon. Um, I got a 1200 for Damascus. Um, mm. But, yeah, again, it'll come down to what finish you're trying to achieve for the knife you're making. Like, you don't necessarily want to put a mirror polish on uh, a tactical blade, right? Like, on a tactical blade, you might want to stonewash it, or you might want to uh, um, really gnarly... Uh, a look that I've seen from a couple of knife makers is like a, a good 36 grit belt finish. Mm. Um, you can make any grit look good as long as it's even and consistent. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, like 36 grit, 120 grit can all look great as long as you're using sharp belts and you're getting a right, nice, even, consistent line and even consistent grind lines uh, in your pattern, which is helped by using good quality abrasives and fresh belts. Um, but yeah, like, uh, again, it, how long is a piece of string? You can, uh, both Alex and I like hand, hand satin finishes, but also he does a lot of stone washes using machine finishes. So, um, yeah, it, it really does depend on the project that you're doing. Um, and what its intended use is going to be really. Yeah, exactly. What the, what the end use is like, I it's wouldn't like- necessarily do a 3000 grit Hamon. <laughs> on a knife that's going to be beaten hunter and, yeah. <laughs> yeah the knife that's going to be beaten and, and thrown around and stuff like that um likewise i wouldn't do a 240 grit satin finish on a katana that i wanted to really show off that hormone mm. so, so yeah and it, if you're meaning it in a more of a literal sense um and what polishes we use on them um i actually use um it's actually I think it's Dulux brand, my rouge that I use for polishing. Mm. Um, and I actually have a paste polish that's actually for chrome. It's mm-hmm. a chrome polish paste. Um, yep. Yeah. So and if you are meaning it literally, what what is a nice polish for blades? 
that's that's what i use <laughs> yeah uh, mother's mag and autosol are two ones mm. are two that i've used um liquid reflection oh. is another one it's a a lot of the stuff off-brand. for cars works really well well yeah because it's designed to, <laughs> it's designed to to shine up metal in some cases yeah um chrome chrome stuff is normally pretty good because you're actually shining the metal itself aluminium polishes are normally pretty good too uh, as long as they're not chemical polishes, you've got to be careful uh, with chemical polishes. Yeah. Um, as for epoxies, we recommend. Once again, it depends on what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, J Flex is pretty good. The yeah, the general rule is um, the longer setting, the better. I use a G Flex from um, West Systems. Um, which is what Carl Royer and a bunch of other master smiths use. There are guys that swear by Acroglass, but it's like three times more expensive than G Flex. Um, but you can get away with using stuff like thirty minute Araldite from Bunnings, or you know, I, I use Araldite for most of my glue ups, to be honest. Yeah. Although I've so, been trying a new brand that I got just out of desperation. It's called Zap. Yeah. I'd never heard of it before. I'd never seen it before, but it was the only one I had access to at the time. And I needed it for something, so I got it. I've actually been really impressed with it. Nice. It's really good. I've I've never had a single failure. You know, sometimes you just, like, you haven't quite prepared a surface right or something, and you'll get that little pop, and it's like, oh, now I've got to do all this work again. Never had that. I had that with, I get that, you know, very rarely with Araldite, but I've not had it with this stuff. So maybe I'll keep buying it. Yeah. And uh, this is the thing, like, it'll come down to your personal preference. The one thing I can say is steer clear of five-minute epoxy. Like, five-minute epoxy is the best way to fuck up a job. <laughs> like, any job. Um, no matter how fast you are, no matter how well-prepared you are, five-minute epoxy will always set too fast. <laughs> uh- I will, I will respectfully disagree. I think it's handy to have in your arsenal. Oh, it's ha- handy to have in your arsenal, but it shouldn't be the one that you reach for every time. Yeah, depends, like, on, the, depends on the job. Because you shouldn't be only relying on epoxy for uh, a handle fit-up. Yeah. You should have some sort of mechanical fit as well. So um, one thing to re- a lot of people say, oh, five-minute epoxy gets me working faster, but you, a lot of people don't realize that it has a much weaker holding power than uh, a slower setting epoxy which is why sam said always go for a slower setting epoxy a it gives you more working time uh which is always good more time for cleanup of squeeze out and things like that um and uh foobar things that go wrong in in ornate pieces um but it will often in almost every case a slower setting epoxy holds harder but five minute epoxy can really help you with complex glue ups not yeah. necessarily use on the entire thing, but parts of it. Oh yeah, no, like I'm talking about like gluing scales to handles or gluing a like the the actual handle block to a hidden tank. If you're if you're just gluing parts together, then five minute epoxy will do. But you don't want five minute epoxy to be the the go to for big glue ups because especially when there's lots of little things you need to do. Uh, like when you're putting handles on, uh, it's a really good way to mess things up. And I know because I did it and I ended up having to cut off a $40 block of burl. <laughs> I was at the hardware store and I saw a 90 second epoxy. Yeah. Uh... That's, that's like massive expert mode right there. <laughs> Super mega hard mode. Yeah. If ever you need to get, uh, you know, jumpstart a knife maker's heart and you don't have a defibrillator around, just wave some of that in front of them. Yep, that's it. Get the heart racing right away. 
Yeah, the the advantage of the high priced and high quality uh, ones like G Flex and Acroglass and stuff like that is that they don't only just hold hard; they also have some form of elasticity to them, even at full hardness, which means that they're not going to crack your handle material when they uh, when the handle material shrinks or uh, expands. Mm. Um, That's why it's called J Flex. G Flex, yes. G Flex. J Flex is the belts. The belts. <laughs> but yeah so um it, it all depends on what you've got available and what's in your price range but generally speaking i would advise for a longer setting epoxy in most cases yeah so hopefully that helps ben next email comes from jason from phoenix arizona he says hi this is jason hostetler i had asked a question that you responded to on the podcast and sam had mentioned that he saw a forced air ribbon burner reach forge welding temperatures at one psi i tried to look for information on these specs or videos on how to make it and i have not been finding what i'm looking for i was wondering if you could point me in the right direction love to blacksmith uh, love the blacksmith rants hope uh sorry keep up the good work Two of you are keeping my sport spirits up when I get down. Love everything you do. Well, thanks for writing in, Jason. I'm glad we can help. Yeah, thanks for the question, Jason. And um, I, I do recall uh, saying that. I will, however, say that I was talking from, like, actually being in the presence of this thing, not seeing it built or, like, understanding any of the specs around it. I don't run forced air in my workshop because I prefer to venturi burners but um yeah it's 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 hard for me to tell you exactly what he did in that build in order to make it run as it did one thing to keep in mind is that one psi yes i it was running at one psi but one psi is only part of the equation when running forced air because well there the nozzle there, could be different sizes exactly there are, there are two main issues with running gas pressures it's either the orifice size or the pressure so you can have a small orifice running high pressure or you can have a large orifice running low pressure now one psi with a three millimeter wide orifice is going, gas. it's going to be pumping out a hell of a lot more gas than a 0.8 millimeter orifice which is what's standard on most venturi burners at say 20 psi because you're just pumping volume at that point. Um, also, when you're talking about getting a forge hot, there's two factors to it. There's the amount of heat going in, and there's the amount of heat going out. And so the burner is controlling the amount of heat going in. Your thermal efficiency of the forge itself is going to control the heat going out. So to be able to run a forge at 1 PSI uh, and get forge welding temperatures at that, you've got to also have a really good thermal efficiency. Yeah, and to like, and for for instance, the the forge that I was talking about, ha- it literally has an internal uh, surface area, like an internal volume uh, volume of the size of a K twenty six fabric, right? So you know, about th- it's about uh, three inches by four inches, small. Um, very small, and it was quite deep um, in its size, so it was about two fabrics deep. So therefore. The heat had a lot less, a lot more space to dissipate into refractory than it did uh, the outside world, and it was uh, one full twenty six K K twenty six fabric or you know twenty six hundred degree uh, rated that's Fahrenheit uh, fire, low density fabric, and then wrapped in iso wool, uh, one inch of iso wool. So it was very thermally efficient. Mm. So hopefully that um, gives you at least some information to maybe do some experimentation yourself, Jason. Yeah. 
Uh, our next email comes from Josh Anderson. That's Ignis Metalworks, long-time listener and follower of the show. Hey, Josh. Hey. He says, hi, guys. I am on attempt number five of this Pipehawk Forgecast challenge, and I hate you both for it. <laughs> I, I'm kidding, of course, but this has been a, the most frustrating challenge yet. My first two attempts were train wrecks. Third attempt was going well until I ruined it with some bad welding. By then, I was ready to give up, especially since we had friends coming in from out of town, which kept me from the forge for a week. However, once they left, I decided to give it another shot, which I promptly ruined with a crooked crooked eye. Now, with less than 20 days left, and only about one and a half hours a night of forge time, I figured, what's the point? I'm just going to be like that guy on Forged in Fire who turns in a burnt piece of metal and the judges give that condescending, you never gave up and we commend you for it speech, which is just a nice way of saying don't quit your day job. But then I keep thinking about Sam breaking his guard towards the end of the 48-hour dagger challenge. I saw the video where you called it quits, and I sure as hell didn't blame you. But then, bam, out of nowhere, you cranked out a perfectly serviceable guard and presented it all with the damn... Uh, presented us all with a damn fine blade so again with less than 20 days left and only one and a half hours of forge time a night if i'm lucky i am starting on attempt number five because sam you sir are my inspiration of the week thank you both for all your hard work and challenging the rest of us to try new things may the best smith win some super sexy Otway fiddleback stabilized (laughs) sincerely josh anderson hashtag yes sponsored Well, thank you, Josh. And, like, I have been watching your uh, journey with great interest because I I love the idea you're going with and I love the fact that you haven't given up despite all of the uh, issues you've come into. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, Queen. Yeah, that being said, that has nothing to do with me. Like, I I appreciate that you've taken uh, some inspiration from what I did during that 48-hour dagger challenge, which still haunts me in my dreams. But, but realistically, you are doing this yourself. Like, you, you are motivating yourself to do this, and that's uh, commendable as hell. I, I will, however, disagree with you on the idea of, uh, you know, that whole pat on the back, you know, uh, congratulations on continuing to push through uh, in, like, the Fortune Fire thing as being a don't-quit-your-day job. It's bullshit. When you're on a timeline and you have, like, a limited amount of time and a limited amount of materials and all that kind of stuff... The fact that you put in 100% and absolutely give it your all is way more important than having the result at the end. Um, When I broke that guard, I had the opportunity to look at myself and say, okay, I can just not turn anything in. Like, I can just, you know, that's it. I'm done. Whatever. And, And that's basically what I was thinking when I made that video. But even after I put the phone down, after videoing myself saying, that's it, I'm out, I was like, but I am going to turn something in. I don't care if it's good, I'm just going to have something. <laughs> and that was what drove me to get to the point where I was. And I'm really happy with the result that I came out with. I'm much more impressed with what I came out with than I was expecting to be. And hmm. that's because I just decided that I wasn't going to quit. I was just going to put something in there. And basically at that point I'd given up on making it good. I just wanted to make it. (laughs) And so, you know, like even if the result that you come out with isn't exactly what you expected, the fact that you will put something forward is going to be the biggest thing, 
right? Like, and I expect you to, to finish this. Even if you, or what you turn in is a half-forged tomahawk, as long as you've put 100% in and you actually turn something in, that's what I want to see. Um, because it's that will to continue pushing even after it seems hopeless that really makes you succeed. That's it. And as far as your design goes, I'm pretty sure it could be in the contender for winning, so keep up the fucking effort. Mm. Mm. Food for thought, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Our next email comes from Trevor Fredland. He says, hey guys, just finished listening to episode 127 and thought y'all might get a kick out of this. Texas no longer has any restrictions on bladed objects, no size limits, style restrictions, or action types. So everything from the 3.7 meter long Norimitsu Odachi to a 1 inch neck knife or classic switchblade to fixed buoy, Texas no longer restricts them. And firearms laws also changed here in Texas, so people with no felonies no longer need to have a license to carry, both concealed or open. Yet on the other hand, we still restrict any clubs. (laughs) But something that might be easier for people to carry nowadays than the quarterstaff is a simple cane, which is thankfully legal worldwide and in all places, even places like airplanes and courtrooms. Anyway, always interesting to hear about other countries' laws and differences about how people see certain things as tools versus weapons. By the way, love the recent episodes on medieval blacksmiths. Never a dull episode episode with y'all. Great episode, guys. Trevor Fredland. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for writing in. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen uh, photos of guys walking around the streets of Texas wearing, like, long swords strapped over their backs. And, like, I can't blame them. I would do the same. Like, <laughs> carry anything you want, but don't... Not a club. Well, That's it, a dangerous thing I mean, to carry. Clubs are really hard to carry. They're huge, and they're full of dancing people. Brunts. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it's more like... I'm here till Thursday, try the veal. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so like laws are different all over the place and and there are obviously places where that is allowed. Um, But I I think you'll find even in those places, there'll be groups of people who have issues with with that um, on on the basis of knives being considered weapons. Um, <laughs> although I, I think I would be interested to see the reaction of them seeing someone wearing a sword compared to them, someone seeing someone wearing a knife, right? Like what is the visceral reaction in that case? Mm. I would imagine that because like, what, like I was saying in that episode, um, there is this kind of reimagining of what the sword is given fantasy and all that kind of stuff in media that they mm. would be less scared <laughs> of the guy with the sword. Um, you kind of instinctively want to go up and be like, hey, cool sword, can I have a look? Exactly. And and like listening to this, they'd probably say, oh, no, I'd be just as terrified. And I'm like, yeah, but would you, though? <laughs> mm-hmm. Me- meanwhile, from a practical aspect, <laughs> I'd be like, I'm way well, more worried of the guy with the sword. I'll let you know how the wedding ends up going. Yeah, that's it. Well, at least it's blunt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All the guests will be like, ah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's not going to be much severance in that divorce. Uh, well, technically, without an edge on it, it's a club, so it'd be illegal in Texas. This is true, <laughs> but at least they can go clubbing. <laughs> That's right. Oh man, uh, thanks for that, Trevor. Interesting to hear what's going on in different parts of the world. Absolutely. 
So, Sam, who's been inspiring you this week? Right. So, um, my inspiration this week, um, it's a, it's a, it was, it was very difficult for me to, to come up with, uh, an inspiration because it came down to two people. Now, luckily, fortunately, we both came up with the same person as one of them. <laughs> and so it made it easier. I called dibs. Yeah. Well, you know, it made it easier for me to, to, um, use the other person as my inspiration, but both people in the inspiration of the week this week are my inspiration. But, um, I've actually made videos responding to this person on YouTube, uh, and we have differed ideologically, uh, ideologically on a few things. God, I'm, my mouth isn't working today either. Um... But one thing that cannot be denied is his pure raw talent. And he recently made uh, the blade that won Sword of the Year at Blade Show, uh, which is called The Heretic, and it's a mosaic Damascus multi-bar uh, longsword with a sterling, like a, no, a fine silver grip, full engraving and inlay done in traditional Japanese style engraving, hammer and chisel, which is very close to my heart. Um, including Damascus, guard and pommel, all hand engraved and inlaid with gold cabochon and, uh, precious stones. And it is disgusting how pretty this sword is. Like, <laughs> I, I, you look at it and like, um, Excelsior, which, uh, Kyle, uh, Royer made, fantastic Amazing sword. sword. Amazing yeah. sword. But the mosaic in that is actually coarser in Kyle's sword than it is in the Heretic, right? Like, the Heretic has that... Which is saying something. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, the amount of detail in the mosaic of the blade is insane. And then to add to that the fact that he forge-welded... Um, so he did an edge wrap uh, of Twisted Damascus around the mosaic core, but the Ricasso of the blade is actually inlaid uh, is actually uh, 1045 forge welded with the edge wrap around it to support it because he then engraved a full vista on both sides of um the idea of the heretic in in two lights in like the demonic and the, and the angelic um and then you know like the the fine silver hilt is carved in you know kind of like uh, gothic window screens looking out upon the, you know, the world. It's just insane. Like, <laughs> I hate how talented this man is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, the, uh, the man I'm talking about is, of course, Ilya Alexeyev from That Works, um, previously of Baltimore Knife and Sword and Man at Arms. Uh, he goes on Instagram under the name at Slavic Smith, all word, one word. And, um, yeah, he's, he is spectacularly talented. He, like, he started off as an armorer, I believe, and was, uh, never formally educated in, uh, engraving, but kind of educated himself, and it became one of the things he was known for on Man at Arms, was doing all of the engraving work and inlay work on their big projects. He also gained a, a notoriety for being really good with a power hammer. <laughs> Um, you know, he, he was the one who famously, they bet he couldn't make Guts's Berserker sword. Um, <laughs> and then he went, oh, watch Guts. Me. Who's? Uh, Guts from, uh, Berserk, um, the anime. It's, it's a, like, nine foot tall. Oh, it's anime. Yeah, okay. it's, it's like a nine foot tall, inch thick longsword. 
Um, right. And he managed to forge it all out of this piece of railroad cap. It was crazy. Uh, <laughs> like um, Sam, one of the blacksmiths that worked with them, was like, you know, we said that if he could find a way to forge it, we'd find a way to heat treat it, and he regretted saying that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he is an incredibly talented person. But this this sword specifically is a masterpiece. Like there there is no argument; it is an absolute masterpiece of uh, a piece of engraving and a piece of bladesmithing. Um, it is just all around really well put together. It's he's got a great eye for artistic like lines. He's got really good idea of how to lay out a blade. He used a lot of Peter Johnson's ideas for like geometry, um, which makes it yeah. It, it, it's just a great piece, and it's well worth looking at. Hmm. But um, with that being said, who is your? Well, I know who your inspiration is, but who's your? Who's been inspiring you <laughs> and I? <laughs> It's, um, I've been watching this guy make this thing for months. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how many months. Um, I never got to see any of the live streams where he was doing it. I'm really sad because I was always asleep. (laughs) A lot of, I've I've actually been in a lot of the live streams, but, um, this fella has so many people in his live streams nowadays, um, because of the riotous success that he's had, (laughs) well-deserved. Um, that I, I often go completely unnoticed in the live streams. And so most of the time I just sit and watch quietly uh, because it is a joy to watch this man work. But while the piece in question is is worthy of inspiration, um, the thing that inspired me about it is his uh, sheer persistence on it. Mm. Uh, and I am, of course, talking about none other than Roy Adams, uh, 2.5 time guest on the Forgecast. <laughs> Um, he recently and, and I, I highly recommend you go to his YouTube channel to check it out recently finished uh, what he considers his masterpiece um, and rightly so this what he's done is he's, he's made a hammer that is fully engraved with acanthus leaf uh, motifs on all faces except the business ends obviously mm-hmm. um, with beautiful shaded stippled backgrounds um laminated handle um it's just everything about it is uh, it it has presence it, it is warm to look at it is incredible the l- sheer level of detail and, and attention and focus that has been put into this thing especially when you consider that it was all done by hand mm. um just with nothing but patience and it it blows my mind that he was i mean this this guy is quite possibly the busiest person i know the hardest working person i know and we know niels mm-hmm. we know niels vandenberg so that's saying something we know carl royer and roy still makes them look lazy <laughs> he works <laughs> in so a lot hard. of ways yes um and it's that persistence that's really inspired me because I've, I've been struggling a lot the last probably few months, to be honest, um, with a lot going on in my life. And sometimes it's been really hard to have the perseverance to push through a day, let alone some of the projects that I've got going on. Um, and especially given that I've been taking on larger and more ornate projects as time goes on. And when you struggle some days to just get yourself out of bed, 
the idea of facing down these very, very challenging, monstrously challenging tasks. Um, even if they're not difficult, they're challenging in the amount of effort required to make them happen. And Roy has been this amazing inspiration because almost every day he's been sat in that same spot with that old vice in front of him, this beautiful hammer sitting in a rag in the vice and just working away at it and working and working and working for the sole purpose of making a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. to celebrate what a man can do or a woman if they put their mind to it um and what he's created is breathtaking i'm very glad roy if you're listening to this that your video is only a minute long because otherwise it would have suffocated (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a beautiful piece um in in every respect and it's from every angle it is a beautiful piece but what is truly inspirational about it is the journey that made it uh born into the world yeah and i've been thinking about it and your journey with it a lot uh while dealing with my own stuff so well done on that piece it is incredible you deserve every bit of pride that you feel in it and i hope everybody who's listening to the show goes to both his instagram and his youtube channel to look at it uh and and gaze upon its marvelousness yeah even even from like you know outside of like i having not watched the story of the making right like i i'm removed from that even from the uh, perspective of an engraver it is a fantastic piece uh it is beautifully done it is well like proportioned the engraving is very clear and clean and crisp and one of my favorite details about it one that i didn't see until i watched the video was that laminate on the handle of the curly Mm. maple which it's such a subtle feature but it's also like reminiscent of like um the old violins like a stradivarius (laughs) violin Mm -hmm. i i absolutely love that detail and it blew my mind for a minute because i'm not very familiar with woodwork i was like how (laughs) how how was this done how do how do hammer (laughs) how do hammer handle but yeah no it is a fantastic piece and and roy should be very proud of it and it definitely deserves all the praise that it gets I am genuinely sad that it is extremely unlikely, if not impossible, that I'll ever get to actually hold this hammer. Mm. Um, because I, I'm not actually sure, even after watching all the live streams, I'm not, not actually sure what the, what the deal is with it, whether he's keeping it, uh, I'm going to you know put it on a mantelpiece somewhere, or whether or not it's for a customer, or whether he's putting it up to sell or auction. I have no idea. Right. Um, but yeah the way the world's going and uh not knowing what the fate of the hammer is i'll probably never get to actually see it in person but i imagine um and i i I, as i've been in that place myself and i know sam's been in that place i imagine roy is probably eternally frustrated that video and photos are not capturing fully the experience (laughs) of witnessing this thing yeah for 100 percent because they never do nope they just never do so well done roy yes but with inspirations and emails out of the way that of course brings us in to tool time tool time and today's tool time bastes your ear turkeys thanks to the friendly neighborhood legends at nordic edge suppliers of all of the very best goodies for knife makers in australia and abroad Blade blanks, handle materials, pin stock, and more are all available at nordicedge.com.au. 
au. Check them out today to stock up. Even having heard that, like, before, <laughs> it still cracks me up. <laughs> fucking ear turkeys. Yeah, it's going to cancel out <laughs> um, sponsorship when he hears that. It's, it's like, funny. What, what the hell am I... <laughs> you guys missed out on my original reaction, but trust me, it was much not different to this one. <laughs> it's still funny. Oh. Sam started laughing in the original recording so hard that I was actually struggling to get the rest of the yeah, thing out. He chuckled through it. Because I'm looking at him on Skype, <laughs> just losing his shit. Uh, yes. <laughs> and trying to do it quietly. We, we have fun here. <laughs> uh. But this week's tool of the week is uh, scrolling tongues, or sometimes called scroll starters, yes. which is a tool that I have since learned you can still purchase, but they are a fairly uncommon tool. And basically, it's essentially a, a usually a hardy tool that's a ski ramp sort of shape, and they come in various different shapes, but more or less, they're all a ski ramp um, that you can actually hang a, a piece of material over as you form a scroll because if you're using the side of your anvil uh, as you form the scroll once it gets to the 180 degree mark it starts hitting the side of your anvil so this is kind of like a shelf mm. that slots into a hardy hole that allows you to make larger more ornate scrolls um, they are a, a rarer tool even though you can buy them but they are fairly easy to make yourself yeah, and, and uh, like, uh, as you said, it's it's like a shelf, but in most cases, a shelf uh, will be relatively thick at the edge as well. So unless you're doing large scrolls, uh, you're not going to be able to curl it round underneath if it's a very small scroll, like stuff on the uh, Celtic blacksmith's knives and hairpins and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's really useful for that, because you can have, you know, a 3mm <laughs> edge on the scroll starter because you're not really wailing on it it's not designed to be beat on it's designed to be bent around yeah um and oftentimes they're not a straight ramp sometimes they'll actually uh start curling over a little bit almost like the peak of a of a sine wave sort of thing yeah um and i've even seen ones that actually have um a slight depression in the middle of them mm -hmm. Um, so that it actually keeps the scroll centered as you work, which is a, a nice touch. Uh, most of the time, these are a homemade tool, so they, they tend to be made to fit the work that the blacksmith is doing. But it's a handy little thing to have if you're doing a lot of scroll work. Yeah, and, and don't um, don't think that as a bladesmith you can't use them. David Lish uh, famously uses uh, them mm. quite often. Uh, I've seen him use them in his stories on Instagram and in his videos for doing like penny scroll guards and stuff like that shaping guards and and the like uh he uses them quite frequently so um yeah definitely a useful tool for the shed yeah a simple tool but it's one of those things that just every every other sort of workaround that you will end up using is never quite as good i mean this is a, a single purpose tool that is very good at what it does yeah i mean and it's as alex said it's ridiculously easy to make it's basically just a full tapered hot cut like a long full tapered hot cut that's then just been knocked over <laughs> mm. yeah so uh so maybe something to make for yourself to add to your uh growing tool collection because really if you've got a spare day and you're just sort of messing around in the forge making more anvil tooling is always good making oh, yeah. more tongs is always good making these things that one day you will use the good thing is you make them they never go bad so yeah have a think about uh, looking up some designs, see what think you think will work with your work, 
and maybe make one. And if you do, send us a photo. We want to see it. Yeah. I mean, and we all get those days where we're stuck in the forge and we have no idea what we're supposed to be making. <laughs> so mm. there you go. Perfect idea. Yeah. Uh, when we uh, when Broden was over and we were making the, the Damascus and that, I started making a set of tongs. I was just mad dogging him the entire time while making tongs. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, still, still need to make me mine. <laughs> I kid, I kid. He was, he knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this episode we're talking sort of, uh, it's kind of a continuation of the medieval blacksmithing uh, topics. I know you guys have been really enjoying it. We've been getting a lot of very positive messages from you. But it's it's sort of uh, an adjacent thing. It's a, a partnership, if you will, that has been very, very common throughout the history of mankind, no matter what country or culture. And that is the close relationship between the blacksmith and the stonemason. Yeah. So stonemasons, as you may know, use metal tools. They use metal chisels. They use um, feathers and wedges. They uh, use all sorts of things to get their work done. But those tools wear out very, very quickly because stone, Mm -hmm. funnily enough, quite hard <laughs> we use it to sharpen tools actually funnily enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right Still, so tools made of of steel so it's um yeah but uh, back in the day entire castles or um, foundations for houses or walls were made of very carefully uh, carved or split stone and it was all done using steel tools Now, on a job that's as big as something like a castle, teams of masons would be working, carving out stone uh, bricks or steps or keystones or arch pieces, all very specific designs needing to be made with fairly incredible precision given the tool. Yeah, especially given because they didn't use mortar in most construction in those days. No. Because mortar wasn't readily available. They couldn't go to Bunnings. Um, and, s- and the notion of concrete was was quite modern. Like Roman concrete was the closest sort of thing that they had, really. Yeah, and so most castles that still stand today have not a trace of mortar in them. They're just they stand because of the really close tolerance fits between the stones, and that's all done by hand with chisel. Yeah, and those chisels would wear out very very fast. So if you had something like a castle being built, you would have a team of a few dozen. Um, masons just working away making the stones that fit um, and as their tools wore out there would be a blacksmith or blacksmiths on hand there working 12 hours a day or sometimes round the clock just reheat treating sharpening and making new because uh, feathers for example for splitting rocks would wear out quite a lot they, mm. they they cop a lot of brunt and they get deformed and they wear out so new ones would have to be made almost constantly um, and this whole sort of um conveyor belt of process was just a part of the living but then if you've been watching uh, i mean I've, I've recommended in every one of these medieval videos uh, in medieval episodes um the video series on youtube uh the secrets of the castle mm-hmm. the bill that get along um highly recommend it i can't recommend it enough it's incredible if you're interested in this sort of thing but the team of people required to build a castle and this is in a remote place they didn't just build a castle right next door to the next castle this is <laughs> you know the suburbs 
they were, if you were building a new castle, it was because they were on new lands. And so they were miles away from anything else. And the people that were working on it, the scores of people that were working on it, would have to build their lodgings nearby. And they would use build them out of the available wood because they didn't have time to build masonry buildings <laughs> around the entire thing. So they would quickly throw together wooden buildings and those wooden buildings would be held together with traditional joinery because carpentry was a thing. Um, but also nails, mm-hmm. as we talked about, all which need to be made by a blacksmith. And they need to be made on a needs basis because you know they may not have set up a mine yet and smelting ore takes time. And it's this whole process of supply and demand. Yeah, and you know, like these these teams of blacksmiths, like Alex said, were just ninety percent of their job was maintenance. You know, on mm-hmm. on all tools. It wasn't just the masonry chisels. It was the hammers. It was the axes, because you know, it, it's not like these days where you'd literally just throw the chisel aside and and get a new one. Um, Go to Bunnings. <laughs> yeah, and and it's not even <laughs> that you would grind off the mushrooming and stuff like that on a tool. Uh, if anything, once it was mushroomed enough, you would just send it back to the blacksmith to either have that forge welded back into the shank, or just mm-hmm. re-upset into the handle again, so that it was that you maintained the uh, the material. Because you know, there wasn't even a supply line really. It was just these people were isolated. They had to work with what they had. Yeah, and and even if they had a supply line, it, it's not like wrought iron and, and steel was growing on trees, even into the you know early Renaissance. Iron was still, you know, being produced in relatively limited locations, and so you had a relatively limited supply. Uh, so it made no sense to make waste of anything, uh, like at all. You would find that the blacksmith shop would be a giant scrap pile because <laughs> every little piece counted. Um, I was um, watching a, a an amazing little sort of documentaryette, as people <laughs> call it. It was only about 15, 20 minutes long, but it was about the highest altitude train station in the world, and I think it's in Switzerland, mm-hmm. uh, I think. It's in the Alps. Um, and they were at the train station because it's a tourist location. They've got sort of a mini museum there that shows the history of it. And in this documentary, they were showing photos from this museum, and they showed the process of blowing out the tunnels through the mountain because mm-hmm. they, they couldn't just go down the slopes. Um, and the way they drilled holes that they would slide the dynamite sticks down in is is, uh, they would have a long chisel that was about three foot long and would literally just have a chisel blade at the end of it, just a straight chisel blade. And some poor sod would have to actually kneel down and press it against the rock and very have great trust in the striker standing behind him (laughs) to swing a giant sledgehammer and strike the back of that chisel. And then the guy holding it would rotate at a quarter turn and then they hit again. And the process of just this straight, flat chisel being hit, turned, hit, turned, hit, turned, essentially made it a, a very slow hammer drill. Um, but probably still much more powerful of a hammer drill than anything you'd find today. Because <laughs> the guy behind him was si- swinging a 16-pound sledge. Yep. Um, <laughs> full ball. <laughs> um, with the accuracy of somebody who's been doing it since they were 12. Um, and so this was enough to actually drill neat holes some of which are still in the stone um there because they didn't end up getting used and i, uh, I just geez you'd you'd be angry, <laughs> you? <laughs> I was just, yeah the, like <laughs> you can imagine spending three hours on your knees getting this fucking thing blown apart in your hands by a sledgehammer mm. just to find out oh no we don't need to blast that <laughs> 
Because I think we've all seen the the videos that I mean they tend to go viral that sort of video of people splitting a giant stone with the feathers yeah. and wedges, and they'll they'll sort of they listen to the rock and they're almost watching it. It's like, all right, more pressure here. And then I've got to put some here and all that sort of thing. But they don't often show making the initial hole mm. that the feathers and wedge go into. And um, that process was if you were lucky. Because, I mean, a, a, a big chisel drill like that would be take a lot of iron. Um, in the get-along videos, they actually show how it was done um, <laughs> the old-fashioned way. And it was with a little chisel and a little hammer. Yeah. And a lot of time. Yeah, I, I think... <laughs> and a lot of silicosis. <laughs> I think Torbjorn actually did... Like, he did a video making plug and feathers. And uh, I think he made a drilling chisel, but he got, like, five blows in and went, nah, screw this, <laughs> when he got the drill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, yeah, you wouldn't want to try. <laughs> you know, that's right. I mean, it, to think that this was happening all day, every day... Mm-hmm just to make the blocks for a castle, let alone the precision required for, like, um, circular steps and things like that. I mean, obviously, the, the, the rock type that you would be using would be uh, very important. Yeah. But um, most castles aren't made of, you know, pumice. No, well, I mean, they wish. <laughs> <laughs> they wish. I mean, can you imagine, like, trying to split the big boulder and it splits in a way you weren't expecting and you're just like, God damn mm. it. <laughs> all those hours wasted <laughs> and so i mean if you are lucky enough to live in i mean from your perspective it's probably not lucky but from our perspective it is if you are lucky enough to live in a part of the world where there are still standing castles um go check them out mm. and look at them with a, a a different eye that each one of those stones was not just pulled out of the ground like that it was cut specifically to be that way and a lot of the time if you look close enough you can see the chisel marks because most masonry Mm. chisels are actually have edges like a comb they have multiple little teeth because it it bites the material better they weren't just straight edged so a lot of the time you can find the tool marks on those old castle stones so look it out for them yeah, depending on the age of the castle, you may not find those tool marks on the outside of the castle because yeah. weather wearing would probably have washed them away. But on the protected parts, you can definitely see them there. I mean, you, you, it's a bit like looking at um, convict bricks. Mm. A lot of convicts that were tasked with making mud bricks would often put their names in them <laughs> or handprints and things like that. Or various um, other but, epithets. <laughs> or other things, yes. Mm. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's it's... I would, I, I would love to actually be able to tour around Europe and see some of the castles oh, yeah. um, to look at them from that perspective. Because, I mean, I know most of them now are tourist locations that you can go to. And um, you don't, people that go there that walk around and look at these things, they, they will look at the size of the room, the scale of the halls, the, the, the woodwork arched ceilings of the main cathedrals and things like that. That most people don't look at the stones. Yeah. And, like, you know, at the very best, you sometimes get people who look at it from a military perspective and, you know, how def- well defended it is and stuff. Yeah, where where it's located, the hilltops. <laughs> but the roads leading to, to it. To appreciate the craftsmanship that re- was required to fit the stones together so well that you couldn't slip a knife blade between them um, mm. across an entire stone wall. Like, you know, you're talking several tons of stone. Yeah. Over weeks and months of cutting and grinding and all kinds of horrible. And the precision 
it was necessary because those that first row of stones that you put down is holding the weight of all the ones above it. <laughs> yes. If there is any slide, if there is any slip, if there is any um, faults in the compression, it will crack and it will fall apart and the whole thing will come down. Yeah. And, and like, I, 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 I want to take the opportunity to tie this into what we do as modern makers. If your foundations aren't solid, everything else falls apart. So when forging a knife, for instance, the preform is your foundation, right? Like, getting your preform correct before you start forging pebbles and before you start forging geometry, if your preform isn't right, blade's not going to be right. Those base stones in a castle wall exist in everything we do, and if we're not doing everything right, then, like, if you're rushing through the first steps to get to the last ones, you're going to end up with a failure. Sam just got hella <laughs> Build your foundation strong. Castles are a lot like life. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, it's, but it's true. Like, you know. Fill the moat. <laughs> yeah. Keep the fuck away from me. Drop the drawbridge. <laughs> Drop the portcullis. Yeah. <laughs> Bring out the But the, it, it brings us back to something we've talked about a lot, and that is how blacksmiths were the sort of the daddy craft really because why i say if you have the chance to go to those places look at the stones because those stones would not be Mm -hmm. there they would not be carved the way they are without the blacksmith every craft relies eventually back on or almost every craft relies back on metalwork I've said it once, I'll said it before, the modern world came off the face of an anvil. That's right. Even um, my my wife does crochet. Even crochet mm-hmm. is is what it is because of metalwork. Because the crochet is done with wool. And the wool was spun on a spinning wheel. And the spinning, spinning wheel has metal parts that were fabricated in metalwork. And even if it was an entirely wooden spinning wheel, it's still crafted or carved by steel tools. <laughs> steel tools that the carpenter used, because, you know, wooden chisels don't really cut wood very well. No, unfortunately not. And there there yeah. has been an argument... Unless they're lignum vitae. <laughs> I, I noticed someone, like, commented on our... Uh, one of our recent posts about this specific subject... Uh, saying that, you know, oh, but what about, you know, the Bronze Age came before the Iron Age, you know, they didn't have anvils. Yes, they did. <laughs> mm, and and blacksmithing, like, while blacksmithing is related to iron, and we would tend to, uh, technically these days call bronze smiths, uh, you know, whitesmiths, or, you know, some form of non-ferrous smith, uh, these were the original blacksmiths. Those guys, yes, they were casting their material, but they also used to use hammers and they used to use, you know, rocks and stuff like that to work harden material. But they were still doing the craft of the smith. You know, all... all And actually, speaking of cool YouTube videos that you should definitely check out, one channel that's worth checking out is one of my favorites. It's called How to Make Everything. Mm. Um, And they recently gone through a horrific turn of events where their workshop burned down and they're still trying to work out what happened. Yeah. Um, devastating. All of their camera equipment, their tools, everything, the projects they're working yeah. on. And, and they've been building up for such a long time. It, I, I was devastated when I saw that video. 
and they've, uh, you could see the pain in his eyes. But what his what they've been doing on that channel is literally going through from the Stone Age <laughs> forward, showing how humans evolved in their technology, and they showed what they did in the Bronze Age. Uh, and they, they're actually they were at the Iron Age, I yeah, believe, when their 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 workshop burned down. And you can actually go and support them. And um, I, if you if you have any th- way that you can actually support them, go and check them out and, and get the relevant links because um, phenomenal what they're doing. And they never ask anything for it. And then to have just the every maker's nightmare happen. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, like, yeah. devastating. He's come such a long way, and I've I, I've loved his channel for a long time because um, he's done series more than just the you know Stone Age to uh, yeah to modern age. He's he's and, been doing a whole bunch and, of stuff. And this is not a um, this is like a not a pre-trained guy. This is just a dude <laughs> yeah <clears throat> trying to work figure this shit out and show you how it worked. And it's so good to see it from that perspective. It makes it what it is. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, definitely go and check that it, video out. At least, like, if you at least if you click on the video and watch it, that's giving him support in some way. Um, yeah, absolutely. But he does have a GoFundMe as well. I'm sure you know <laughs> it's one of those things. You might think, oh, a couple of bucks isn't going to help, but if everybody, if you know, a million people suddenly throw in a couple of bucks, then a couple million bucks. <laughs> that's a couple of million bucks. That's a new workshop and tools. Exactly. That's what I keep telling people about, like my Patreon. They're like, oh, I've only got a like, I only can give you a dollar a month. I'm like, dude. Like you know, so it helps I've got, us. If I got, I've got seven thousand subscribers on, well, almost eight thousand subscribers on YouTube. If everyone gave you one dollar, you know, that's eight thousand dollars a month. That's it. That's it. It's more time that we can spend doing stuff like yes, this and making YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff, and not having to, yeah, not having to pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. But no, um, the the importance of the blacksmith cannot be understated, and there are a lot of people who will try and you know wheel over that and just kind of move into the modern age and no we don't need them anymore we might not need them anymore but the the entire history of the world came off the face of that anvil you know and when we come to the link between stonemasonry and um blacksmithing it's true it holds true even today when i first got started in blacksmithing uh one of my friends who was an ex-blacksmith who now builds uh skip bins funnily enough uh he told me (laughs) does he forge them (laughs) he told me that the first thing he ever did um when he became a blacksmith was went down to the local docks and got a contract with the um dock builders down there to reforge their hammer their their, um jackhammer bits uh and so he recommended to me that i go down to the docks and reforge some jackhammer bits i'm like oh that won't happen you know they probably just replace them these days and i did i went down there and i talked to them and i got 10 jackhammer bits to reforge and reheat <laughs> because yeah stonemasonry they're expensive yeah and stonemasonry tools ain't cheap <laughs> not good ones no anyway. that's it and so yeah like this this kind of relationship between the the, the smith and all the other craftsmen exists today uh, I still make woodworking chisels, like custom woodworking chisels for people. I'm making a set for my dad at the moment, actually. Um, but yeah, it's it's important to understand the the interlinking of the crafts, uh, especially from a historical perspective. Yeah. So that being said, one great historical tool is the pipe hawk. <laughs> Did you like my spoon? <laughs> the tool of peace. And the tool of war. (laughs) 
That's right. Depending on which end you're using. <laughs> um, but you guys have been blowing us away, as you were, we we knew you were going to do. Um, so much participation in this challenge. It's phenomenal. Um, loving that you're so thorough with using the hashtag and hashtags. But uh, if you are just coming into this, you're going to be in for a hell of a challenge. But <laughs> <laughs> you have until the end of this month, the end of September, to make, and I say make, not forge necessarily. If you want to forge it, you can. If you want to stock remove it, you can. We don't care how you make it, but we need you to make a functional pipe hawk. That means it has to work and be functional as a tomahawk. It also has to work and be functional as a smoking pipe. Yeah. You don't have to smoke out of it to, to show us that it works. You could just put some sawdust in the bowl and then blow. <laughs> um, I understand not everybody smokes. But um, we want to see video evidence that it functions as both tools. Um, but once it passes that criteria you are now an official entrant into the competition. You know, that's the minimum requirements. To win, you got to impress us. Yep. Yeah, you really bring your A game. Um, and it's not necessarily going to be um, just flashiness that impresses us, but effort is going to impress us. We know you guys. We've been hanging out with you guys for, what, over two years now? Yeah. Well over two years. Can't, I tell you, you can't get rid of this. <laughs> uh, and we want to be impressed by what you do. So that is how you're going to win. And if you want to win, there are three chances to do so because there is a first, second, and third prize, all of them generously sponsored forward by Ryan, the handsome Ryan, the kind Ryan, the funny <laughs> Ryan, at Otway Fiddleback. So check him out at Otway underscore Fiddleback on Instagram. Uh, he actually, actually definitely go and follow him on Instagram because I have some um, behind-the-scenes info for you. He's about to drop some serious new stuff. Mm. He sent me a preview. Oh. <laughs> oh. You're going to want to get in on the ground floor. You absolutely want to because he's a first-in-best-dressed kind of guy. So, um, yeah, definitely be following him. But if you want to win some of his stabilized Otway fiddlebacked Blackwood, first prize is getting three blocks shipped to them anywhere in the world. Uh, second prize is going to get two. Third prize is going to get one. So just be in it to win it, guys. You never know. You might be picked. Yep, and the announcement draw will be held on the 8th <clears throat> or uh, maybe on the weekend, depending if we can make it alive. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the episode, if if it's a normal episode, will be on the 8th of September. No, of yeah. uh, October, October. Sorry, next month. Yeah. That's so right. that you guys have the full month to work with. Yeah, that's right. Not like last time <laughs> where we um, scandalously took the last week away from Yes, it. terribly sorry. Yes, won't happen again. Maybe. Sorry, Sausage Man. I, I literally feel guilty every time <laughs> I see him come up on Instagram. I, like, oh, he actually wow. messaged me about, like, the reason that I made sure to put this in the episode is because Jamie messaged me and was like, uh, how long do I have? <laughs> and I said, oh, the 23rd, because, like, the... <laughs> Last episode of the month is going to come out on the 1st if we record it on the 23rd. But then I was like... I genuinely felt bad because I hadn't seen progress pics and everything, so I didn't know to expect yeah. it. Yeah. I still think about it. 
These are the things that I like, <laughs> buzz through my head as I'm laying awake at night. Yes, we, we are haunted by like, our mistakes. <laughs> it's like, God damn, I, I did my boy Sausage Man wrong. Yeah. Sorry, Jamie. Well, if you're listening, Jamie, you've still got the rest of the month. Yeah, we're letting you have the whole time this oh, time, what? so get on it. Get on it. You can cold smoke a sausage through <laughs> it. <laughs> That'd be a sight to see. Smoke yeah. some cabana through it. That's right. Um, but, you know, that being said, if you guys want to send us a question about blacksmithing or bladesmithing, or maybe historical blacksmithing, and Sam can answer mm-hmm. it, um, send it on through to ask.forgecast at gmail.com or follow us and message us on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and if they're looking for Sam, where can they you find can you? You can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on Instagram, Facebook, Etsy, YouTube, Patreon, Redbubble, and uh, Steve's Kitchen Sink, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, I did see it, Steve. <laughs> he, he is a funny guy. He is. I loved his video about the pipe hawk as well. Yeah, it was pretty good. Chopping them through the night. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if you're looking for me, I go by Valhalla Ironworks. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, Redbubble, Etsy, Twitch, eventually. eventually. Um, and, yeah, can't get rid of me. And we will see you all next week for yet another fun-filled episode. Keep those forges lit and keep having fun. Catch you then, guys. Oh!